I'll be reading from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. John 11, verses 17 through 44. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. As Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So when the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus moved, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, uh, I get to introduce a friend of mine. Uh, oh, he was, come up, you can, you can, it's up to you. Uh, a few, few years ago, I'll, do, I'll make this fast. There's a lot of things I could say. A few years ago, uh, we got a call. It was sort of a, a, a church pastor blind date that said, hey, come have uh, lunch with me. And uh, it was Darren and, and his, he had a whole posse, a whole crew. And uh, we, we show up at lunch and they said, hey, you don't know us. We don't really know you, but we've been looking around online at we want to bless uh, churches. He was at New Spring, Myrtle Beach. And uh, we picked you guys and, and we'd like to give you guys a, a, a gift. And little did I know that 
uh, other than just being an awkward lunch where somebody gave us money and I got some free wings, I think, that day, um, that I actually was meeting a man who had become a brother. And over the years, we've, been, we've walked through life together. We've shared uh, sorrows and joys and uh, walked through each other through some interesting things. And, and what I found in him was, even though it was, you know, I'm a pastor here at this church. He was the campus pastor at New Spring Myrtle Beach. It's hard to be a very much different church uh, to us than that. Um, and you would think he comes from a different part of the country, have a different philosophy, methodology. What I found was that we shared a common heart. And so he, whenever he told us uh, a while back that he was transitioning out of New Spring Myrtle Beach to some really exciting things, I'll let him share that if he wants to. Um, then I said, man, you got to come preach for us. And uh, Darren, you've been very precious to both Dale and I and the, the circle of pastors, that, the small circle of pastors, very small, they get together. Myrtle Beach is a weird town for churches. They don't work together very well, and pastors don't often play together very well. But there's a small group of pastors who pray together and share our hearts together. And what we're praying for is that God would bring renewal and revival to our churches and to the Grand Strand. And I pray that uh, you being here would be a part of that. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Um, yeah, I always feel like uh, when I describe our prayer group that I'm about to tell a really like lame joke, you know, like a, a mega church pastor, uh, E-Free Church planter and uh, Anglican pastor all walk into a, a bar together, you know? Um, but this truly is a gift. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things we could say. So I'm I'm overall just completely uh, humbled and, and honored for even the opportunity to do this. Myrtle Beach is not that big. I'm learning that. It's like I'm looking around the room, and there's people that I know in here, and uh, Kirby. Did he already leave? Because he's serving with the kids probably, didn't he? So, so cool to see him. I remember uh, he started coming to our youth group on Wednesday nights. He was a middle schooler, and just seeing what God's in his life, getting to celebrate with him graduating today, that's, that's really, really awesome. Um, the Dezawan family, we, our girls played basketball, and we were on a team with them, and I literally think in this spot, they probably almost saw me lose my testimony at a third grade basketball game. So um, it's, fun to, it's really fun to get to do this. So uh, my normal lane is not preaching. I'm a, you know, I, w- I was. This is very weird for me. It's my very first Sunday since I stepped up in a part of this church, uh, New Spring, for 13 years. Part of our story, my wife and I are from Nebraska, and moved out to the East Coast to study um, art. I'm actually a, an art student by trade. That's how I got connected to uh, New Spring Church as I was doing art and making videos and things like that for them. The Lord would move my heart to pastoring and eventually would send us here six years ago, almost to the date, um, to take over in a pastoral position with New Spring. And then recently um, just stepped away from that. And so literally last Sunday was our last Sunday there. Um, I'm feeling really emotional this morning. So if I start weeping, it's because it's just, it's, it's all so new to me. Um, and so I guess as of today, I'm now an itinerant preacher. That's what Dale said. That's, that's, my, current, <laughs> that's my current job. But um, in all seriousness, my wife and I have felt very called um, by the Lord and just ordained to um, step into something brand new for us, which is we're going to be um, jumping into helping a shelter up on the north end, a housing shelter uh, with the desire to really see that come to a full uh, rescue mission. They have some land up there in the Longs area, and we're currently working through um, conversations with them about what it would look like to create really a tier two ministry that helps people with um, not just giving them a place to sleep, but really helping them rebuild their entire life from a social poverty standpoint, economically, and, and really loving on the oppressed in our community. It's a huge need. You guys know the, the homeless needs and the things here in our community. And so we're very excited um, and very scared a little bit, I think appropriately, about what we're about to step into. So, um, yeah, Dale and Randy have meant the world to me. 
um, just just co-laborers and brothers uh, for sure. And so this is fun for me. And if you don't like it, I won't be here next week. So <laughs> here we go. Um, so I just want to start. Um, I, I always I always share this with our New Spring family, and um, I think it's really important that as the as the church, am I allowed to walk around out here? Just going to mess up the mic or anything? Um, as a church family, that we recognize this is an this is an expression of of the larger C church in the Myrtle Beach area today. And so, um, when we gather together, I think it's beautiful to see um, how that is expressed and how the different gifts and everything are, are activated here. And so, this already has blessed me just being here. Um, uh, Wally prayed over me, and I already I already feel like I got everything I needed for today. So, just thank you guys for thank you guys for loving on us and, and inviting us in. But um, we obviously just read you know, this story of resurrection. And um, before I, I talk any more, I really would love to just pray. I'd love to pray over this word. I'd love to pray that um, God would speak to you through it. But if you want to, we'll be in John 11 the whole time. If you, if you brought a physical copy of the scriptures or something, we'll, we'll be in there the whole time. Um, so Father, I just ask that, um, that your Holy Spirit would, would speak. Um, this, these are your words. They're not my words. These are um, words with the power to save and to resurrect and to heal. And I know that today, God, there is, there is um, as we prayed this morning, there's a deeper awareness of your presence that we need to have, um, that you are here with us now. And so I ask that you would, would move and that I would get out of the way. And um, I just thank you and I'm humbled uh, for the opportunity, God, today. So would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. So we read the story of the resurrection. I don't know about you, my immediate emotions and feelings uh, when, when I read that story. If you, I grew up in the church, so I feel like I've heard the story of Lazarus read to me in many different ways. Um, but for a modern day context, it feels a little bit like fiction. If we're completely honest, I have never personally even heard of a second or third hand account of somebody physically being raised from the dead. I haven't. So, um, if you're like me, it's like, wow, that's awesome. God is amazing. We obviously are, are here because we believe that a man literally died and rose from the dead and is our savior. And so, um, there's, there's a, an element of faith and belief that we're having in that. But when I read this, it's kind of like, well, why, why is this in there? Like what, what is, John, um, you know, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this for us, what is the point of it? Like, why are we, why are we reading this? And as I studied it, it was, a, it was a real gift to me. I've never, I've heard this story so many times, but getting to really study it, to teach it, I feel like the Lord uh, revealed some pretty, pretty neat things. And so I wonder if the point of John recording this, um, and if the Holy Spirit wanting us to have this story um, accounted specifically the way that it is, um, is really less about the miracle of raising someone from the dead. And I think maybe it might be about something else, something very timeless that every generation could grasp and specifically grasp who the person of Jesus is. I think there's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, and we see that on full display in this. And so just for a little bit of context, um, I don't want to make any assumptions that anyone here knows what's, what's going on at this time. So, so Jesus, right before this, um, there's the Feast of Booths. So he's in Jerusalem. He's a Jew. He's in at the celebration, and things are really heating up with him. He is being more bold in his miracles. He's being more bold in the things that he's proclaiming, that he um, is now beginning to say things that would indicate that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And so the religious rulers, uh, the Jewish people at the time, they don't like this, right? This is, this is bad because this is a threat. This is not the Messiah that was promised to them. They thought there was going to be a man coming in, um, you know, as a military ruler, as a political leader to overthrow Rome, to help them with all of their oppression. They thought this was going to be a big military leader. And so he is turning their ideas upside down, right? Who is this man? Can anything good come from Nazareth? There's, there's all these questions, but a lot of people cannot deny what they're seeing. They're seeing people be healed. They're seeing miracles happen. They're seeing um, people being restored, and they're seeing some beautiful things. And so this is really heating up, so much so that at this feast, just a couple chapters earlier, um, 
the religious rulers, they, they intend to stone him because of the pr- proclamations that he's making about who he is. And they're understanding now, okay, he's claiming to be this Messiah. And so that's a big deal. That's a problem for us. And so they had in mind to stone him, and it says he snuck away and his disciples. So they're, they're uh, several miles away now. And we get this word right before this that, hey, Mary and, Mary and Martha are sending for you because their brother Lazarus is very sick, right? So that's kind of the first piece for you to for know and grasp onto and understand here. Secondly, um, we see something pretty interesting when he hears that news. So I'm going to back up just a little bit, verses 5 and 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Um, it says that he loved them. But what's interesting is that he decides to stay. And so I love what this one commentator says. He says, John reiterates Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters. This shows that Jesus' failure to respond in the normal way, staying where he was for two more days, was not due to any lack of love for either Lazarus, who was on the verge of death, or his sisters, who had sent urgent requests for help. The NIV translation says, yet when he heard, which implies that Jesus' delay was somehow at odds with his love for them, and that could be potentially misleading. The original, and you're to, I'm going to use some Greek words today, but I do not have a any sort of language studies, so to bear with me. Hos un ekosen. So that phrase in the original should be rendered so when he heard. And that's how I read it, you know, with the RSV, the ESV says it that way as well. Which shows that Jesus' delay was not at odds with his love, but really motivated by it. So how could this be? If, if, you, if you love somebody, if you, you know, if, if I heard that my child was sick, my child's back in the, the children area, if I hear my child's sick, I would never say, oh, because I love them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back. No, I'm going to run to them. I'm going to rush to them. This seems to be an interesting point, right? And so it says here, again, in this commentary, I love what it says. is when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Had he left immediately, Lazarus still would have been dead for two days. Nothing would have been gained by an immediate departure. However, there was something to be gained by waiting two days before setting out. The spirit of the departed, this was a belief um, at the time, was thought to hover around the body for three days in hope of a resuscitation. The raising of Lazarus after four days then would clearly be seen as a manifestation of the glory of God, which in hope would strengthen the faith of those who looked on, especially his sisters. So there's a type of love that Jesus has that would actually delay in, in getting what we want because of his presence and what that really means. I think that's really interesting to point out. Um, secondly, I want to talk about Mary and Martha a little bit. So everyone knows the, the age-old dichotomy of the sisters, right? Martha, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I think she gets a really bad rap. Um, she's kind of like the Bible's version of like a Karen. No offense to any Karens in the room. But, you know, uh, if you guys know what a Karen is and what the meme culture and, and social media says about that, it's like, oh, there's this person that constantly um, has to have the last word and say things, and it's kind of always like, seriously, Karen? Okay, come on. The person who, do, who gives out celery sticks instead of candy at the, at the door at Halloween or the person who, uh, you know, goes off on social media rants, things like that. But I think when we read the Bible, I don't know about you, but the brand in my mind of Martha is like Martha bad, Mary good, which works out great because my wife's name is Mary. So, you know, it's exactly how you are always, you know, resting at the feet of Jesus, pouring a, a year's worth of ointment on the feet of Jesus, you know, this, this beautiful picture of Mary. But I think it's way too easy for us in our context to read that and be like, oh, Martha bad, Mary good. I think we're actually all a lot more like Martha if we were honest. If, if Randy was like, hey, I'm coming to your house today, I'm going to get in Martha mode real quick. I'm going to go clean my house. We're, we're getting things ready. We're buying groceries. We're moving. We're, you know, we, that, that's our tendency. But I think Martha gets a bad rap because she literally says the exact same thing 
the Jesus that Mary does and gets a completely different response. It's very, it's very interesting, right? Martha runs and meets Jesus before he ever gets there. She's the first one. She, she's out the door. Jesus is on the way. I've got to go find him. I've got to go talk to him. Where were you, my Lord? Where were you? If you had been here, my brother could have been saved. She was as far to proclaim, you are the Son of God. I believe that. I believe that about you, right? It's the exact same thing that Mary says, but she gets a very different response. And so it reminds me sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you. It does happen to me sometimes. Uh, talking to my kids, talking to my wife, talking to a close friend, whatever, and I really feel like, hey, I feel like, I just feel like this is true of your life right now, or I feel like the Lord wants you to know this, or, you know, maybe we should go try this restaurant, or I really like this new album, or whatever it is, and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, we'll see, and like two or three weeks later, they tell you the exact same thing you told them, but they heard it from someone else who's kind of like a stranger, and you're like, seriously? Like, I've, I just told you that. I think that's how Martha probably would have felt. I don't know that she was there. It doesn't tell us that she came back with Mary, but you know, Mary goes and meets the exact same thing. Lord, where were you? And she gets a completely different response. And if you're Martha, you're just like, seriously, Jesus? Like, I, I literally just said that. But I think it's intentionally recorded this way. I think John wanted us to know this because I think we see some very distinct things about Jesus here that are really, really important. Um, and that moves us into, you know, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, which is John eleven thirty five. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We live in a, a time and an age, and I love this quote. I just heard this in a sermon recently by John Tyson. He said, many people view the Bible as a distant, archaic book of morality from another time that hurts people in a modern world. They tolerate Jesus, but really just as a distant philosopher from another age, a good person that no longer has any impact today. And so if we're to believe and learn who the person of Jesus is and who he is for today, I think there's something very different and very important in this, in this two-word verse that's been broken down, Jesus wept. And what does that mean? And how we interpret what Jesus weeping means really has to do with how we interpret verses 33 and 38 beforehand. So I'm going to go back and read that again. Uh, verses 33 and 38. Sorry, it's literally right on the page turned for me. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Again, in verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again. Um, my translation has a footnote here, and it says, deeply moved also could mean indignant. And so some translations have translated this different ways. And um, some people would say that it's deeply troubled, upset. Um, some translations even say that he got angry. So why would him coming upon a funeral scene and seeing all these people cry and upset about the death of their friend, someone that he also loved, why would that make him indignant? Why would that make him deeply troubled? Why would that make him angry? And I think there's a type of weeping. Yes, I, I think he deeply loved Lazarus, but he's there, to, he's there to save the day. He knows what's about to happen. I think there's a different type of weeping that we're seeing in the heart of our Savior that's really important for, us, important for us to learn. His weeping might have reflected a deep disappointment in the faithlessness and the wailing of the Jews. The weeping of Mary and the Jews is denoted by a certain Greek word. It's kleo. That's used 40 times in the New Testament. It's a very common word when talking about crying or mourning. Um, and it's used eight times um, just alone in the, in the fourth gospel of John. But there's a different context for this type of weeping and wailing that Jesus had. Um, we know that there's one other time it's recorded that he wept, and it's when he wept over the entire city of Jerusalem. 
Again, the same type of word. Uh, kaleo is used there for that type of weeping. But um, John, who's also sometimes called the evangelist, he used a very different and rare word. This is the only time this word is ever used in the recording of the New Testament. And it's decreo or decryo. And it means, um, or the, the, the meaning for it is, it'd be very similar to how um, we would say weeping could be a lot of different things. We would say to cry, to wail, to, to bawl your eyes out. We, we have different terms for this. But this is the only time they use this specific term. And it's significant because I believe that John wanted us to know very, something very different about the type of crying that Jesus had. So when we look at this, I think it's important to note that this type of crying, these type of tears, um, are for something that he is looking upon um, that is moving him deeply and troubling him in his spirit. And what I wrote here and what, what I think, what I believe, is these are tears of a Savior who would look upon the very people he came for knowing they would miss him entirely. He came, these are, these are, you know, these are the, it says the Jews, these are the people that he came, these are God's chosen people, and he came to save them. And he's telling, he's telling Martha, she's right there, right? Hey, you were, you're supposed to be here to save my brother. He's like, I am the resurrection. I am. And so to kind of put this in context, I was thinking, who has an anniversary coming up? Or who's been, let's play a little game. Let's get to know each other. Who's, who's uh, married the longest here? Okay. How long? 43 years. Okay. Anyone beat that? Oh. Wow. 44 in August. We'll go with that. Anyone more? Okay. 59 years. Boom. Amazing. Okay. So um, let's, let's imagine for a minute that we're going to throw you a surprise 60th anniversary. Okay? Um, not much of a surprise to you because you catch wind of it and you think something's going on, but we've got a, a team that's just focused on the food and we got people that are focused on a really special gift for you and we've got the location figured out and decorations and everything. And let's say the day of the anniversary comes and the, the party comes and you guys walk in and the food went bad, the gift didn't arrive, um, you know, the decorations look terrible. Whatever it is, something fell through. It wasn't quite what we expected, right? So you guys walk in and it's rather than like surprise, it's more like, oh, they're here, okay. And, and the people in the kitchen are just freaking out and, and they're going into Martha mode, right? They're just trying to scramble together a meal because the caterer fell through. It's not what we thought. Someone else is putting some money together to go get you a gift. And you guys are like, hey, we're here. Oh, we're here. We're here, right? Like, we're here to celebrate. Like, 60 years. We're here to celebrate our marriage. It's like, yeah, I don't know. You know the divorce rates. I don't know. Like, you may not even make it. You know, they're just, they're, just, they're just all this, just this kind of low feeling. You're like, no, no, we're here. Like, our marriage is here. Like it's here, it's on display. Like that's what we're here to celebrate. How would you guys feel if everyone was just kind of down and? <laughs> that's a funny answer. Um, I would, if I was you, I'd be really upset. I'd be kind of like, what the heck? Like I thought they were throwing. To, like I wasn't even supposed to know about this party. I caught wind of it. Now I'm here, and they don't even really want me here. And I, I almost, we can chuckle about that, but I almost wonder if that's how Jesus was feeling. Is he saying, like, hey, I'm intentionally not going to go. I'm going to wait because I want to see their faith stirred for what can really be possible. And not only that, I am the gift. My presence is the gift. My, my, me being there in their mourning, me being there in their weeping, that's the gift. And he shows up, and he's met immediately with Martha, who's like, where were you? Where were you? He's like, I'm, 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 like I am the resurrection, right? Like, he, he's reminding them of who he is. And obviously, we can see a full picture of the story, and we know Lazarus is raised from the dead. 
Um, but I think he, part of this indignant feeling, this anger, this frustration, is he sees his people that, that they're never going to get who he is. They're never going to appreciate why he's really there. And I think that moves him to a really, really sad reality. So um, I think there's, there's a couple pictures here, um, and I want to get to those. Before I do, um, how many of you have asked the question, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, what are you doing? Right? More than four of you for sure. But right? Like there's, there's a reality of our life. Like Jesus, where are you doing? This, this became very real for me and for my family. Um, probably 2015 is where it started. My wife and I, uh, we, we fell in love on a missions trip in high school. And um, if you guys know, have you ever heard of the Pioneer Woman? We went to kind of her, where, where she lives, there's like an Indian reservation there. And we went there um, on a missions trip. And that's when I say that we really began to fall in love. And the Lord gave me you know, eyes for her, and we began to just have conversations. And some of the things that brought us together were children. We both knew we wanted to have a big family. We both felt called to the mission field and, and just being um, obedient to wherever God calls us. And so just the Lord really knit our hearts together on that trip. Well, fast forward to 2015, we'd moved three or four times maybe by then already and um, really felt this stirring to be a pastor and, and step out into whatever that was with the church. And um, we had, had our two girls um, everything was great, and then we had a miscarriage. And um, I never experienced miscarriage. I heard about it. I kind of just um, ignorantly thought, yeah, the pregnancy didn't, didn't work out. You know, just, just I, I, didn't, I didn't understand the weight of hope being deferred or, or realizing we're going to have a child and then that child being lost. And um, as if that wasn't bad enough, we would move. We had, we had another miscarriage. This time, um, she had carried him all the way to 18 or 19 weeks, and um, we got to deliver him and see our little boy that we wouldn't get to live life with. And, um, and then we moved to Myrtle Beach, and we were pregnant again and just, just nervous. Um, but we had our miracle, which he just left to go to the back, Dason, a uh, little boy. And it was, it was just like, wow, like we can still have, okay, maybe this dream of having lots of kids is like our thing. And then we would have two more miscarriages after him. And both times, again, having to deliver these little children, another little boy, another little girl, and we named them, and, and we um, mourned that deeply. And I remember the, the third time it happened, I was in the hospital um, with my wife, and I, I finally, um, I think a lot of us, again, Martha gets a bad rap. I think a lot of us have that response that Martha does, where it's just like, yeah, God, I know you can and you will one day, so please do this thing, but your will be done, whatever. And, like, I don't even know how God can answer those prayers sometimes because we're just, God, your will be done, but please do this thing. But I don't want to upset you, but I want to be in your will, but I'm in a lot of pain. And there's just this weird, right, triangle of, like, God, I do want to be in your will, but I don't want to experience this right now. This is, this is deep pain. I'm, we're, we're losing a third child. Like, are you serious? And I think I really let myself just kind of have it out. And I just had good mentors and friends appeal in my life that say, hey, God can handle it. And so we're, we're sitting in the hospital room, and I'm just like, God, where are you? Like, I am pissed. You said, sorry for the word pissed. There's younger kids in here. Um, though they're my kids. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, I'm upset here. Like, you, you, you brought us together to build a family. Like, that is so clearly what you did for our family. And I don't understand why this is happening, and I'm upset. And... Um, God met me that day, and he reminded me. He said, you are a father and a mother to many. And what I'm doing is not in opposition to you becoming a father. In fact, that's going to make you a better one. And I didn't like that answer in the moment, but I'm beginning to see a clearer, more crystallized picture of what that is. And I think that's when we invite Jesus into a moment, and we realize his resurrection power is so much more than just the thing that we want to be removed. It's something deep that he wants to do in us, and it's really a person. 
freedom and, and this resurrection power that we can experience on this side of eternity is a lot more about the presence of someone and not just the absence of a problem. So Jesus wants to be there with it. There's fellowship, right, in his suffering. So we see two things, um, I think, very clearly about the person of Jesus in this story and why I believe it is so much more than just him wanting to share a cool miracle with us. Yes, that is a, 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 an amazing thing and testifies to his power and him um, in all of his glory being fully God. But I think we also see a couple other things. So first, um, we see just the reality and the humanity of Jesus, right? The word resurrection means to restore a dead person to life. And without there being hardship, without there being the reality of a death, of pain, of, of sin and suffering, the things of this world, um, we don't get a picture of who Jesus is as fully man. And so we see that. He shows up. I think the compassion tears that he also felt were for his friends. I don't think it was just over the, over the uh, piece of Israel missing who he was. I think it's also that he is saddened about what's happening. And it's the reality that we will all die. It's the reality that everyone um, on this side of eternity, we are going to experience the pains of sin and death. But Jesus took over the world, right? He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so secondly, we see the power and awe of a risen king, the power to save, the power to conquer sin and death itself, and that's the picture of our God. So we see this, these two things very brilliantly displayed. And uh, I got a chance for a short while to, to go through a hermeneutics class and just study more about the Scripture, and I didn't realize the intentionality because we're reading everything in, um, in English translations transmitted, you know, years and years and years later, but the brilliance in some of the writing, like I really believe when the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Scripture, um, there is beauty and there is poetry and there is um, intentionality in storytelling. And I think John, being an eyewitness account to what's happening, he chose to put these things in there to show us a very clear picture of who Jesus is because that's Jesus who he got to walk with and see him both as fully God and fully man. Let us in a little bit to the mystery of how does a God who can raise someone from the dead also weep tears and have compassion over people? And that's the picture we get of Jesus and of him as a Savior. So here's just a few things that I wrote. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to commune with God. We're going to really fellowship with him. We're going to um, talk about communion and what that is and, and enjoy that and celebrate that together. So first of all, the tears of their Savior that day were more than tears of sadness over death and his friend. I believe they were tears of presence. Have you ever thought about this? I think the enemy tries to keep us thinking about the past and worrying about the future. In the past, we can think about shame and regret and all the things that we never did or the things that we did do that now stain and mar and mark our life. And I think the, the thoughts of the past are where the enemy wants to keep us. I also think the worries about the future. What's going to happen to me tomorrow? Where's my next paycheck going to come from? Um, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my marriage? That's also where the enemy wants to keep us in worry. If he can keep us out of present, then he can keep us out of thinking about present as in presence with God. I think it's extremely important, an extremely important truth that wherever we find ourselves, day in, day out, we have to be thinking about presence. There's a, there's a worldly way of thinking about this, which is, you know, just kind of seize the day. That, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, hey, God, what are you doing right now? We change our questions from, God, where were you, to, God, where are you in this thing right now? Where are you in the middle of, you know, in our case, it was miscarriage. Where are you, what are you doing right now in the case of this death, of this sickness? Yes, I know that it doesn't lead to death forever, 
but I know that there's something you're trying to teach me right now, and there's a, there's a reality to this present moment and what it looks like to look to him and say, what are you doing right now? So I start changing my questions, and I think that's an important thing we need to do. God, what are you doing right now? What are you trying to teach me right now? What are you trying to deposit into my life? What do you want me to know about being with you? What, do you, what does it mean to have fellowship and suffering? What does it mean that when we can take joy in trials because we're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? I want to lack in nothing. Okay, teach me that right now. So there's something that we can lean into in that moment. So these tears of presence, he's, he's praying over a group of, or he's, he's weeping over a group of people who he came for that missed him entirely. Jesus is truly the best of all of his gifts. It's not just the power over sin or just the ability to perform miracles. It's the fact that he came to us, God with us, Emmanuel. If we're not careful, we'll miss it. We'll miss it too. It's, it's way too easy, again, for us to read the Bible, removed thousands of years from these stories. And that's, that's why I love that quote by John Tyson. Like, this is an archaic thing that just feels like morality for another time. But today, like, I'm good. Like, that is, that is deeply wrong. We, we, are, we are not the heroes of the story. Jesus says, I think we would have, most of us would probably would have been right there with the Jews and Martha where were you crying, weeping? I know I would have. But it's the reason that he came, to be with us. We can't miss that. The reason for the fact being fellowship and suffering, is, and the reason we can take heart, is not because of what we get to overcome, but who takes us through that journey, who we get to magnify, who we get to glorify and be made more into the image of. And that's the person of Jesus. I love what uh, Hebrews tells us, the author of Hebrews, in uh, chapter 4, verses 15. It's a beautiful picture of, um, of who he is. And it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet with us without sin. He's not far off. He's not unable to sympathize with us. He was tempted in every way we were. It means the thoughts that you're having, the, the insecurities, the doubt, the shame, the wondering where he's at. Why did that relationship fail? Why isn't this thing working out? He was tempted in all those ways, yet he was without sin. So the gift is him. The gift is not just the removal of our circumstance. The gift is not just uh, that, that promotion or making it through another day. The gift is the presence with him. That's the best thing about being a Christ follower, is that we're, we're communing with him. There's fellowship in his suffering. I wonder what seeing, experiencing, and knowing more of him might do in our lives. If we became less obsessed with the resurrection one day, the relief of our, our physical ailments, the relief of the current suffering, and just fixate on him now. And so that's what we really step up to into communion. And um, I have no idea where I'm at on time. I'm used to have a counter in the back. So if I need to fill time, I can keep talking. But I, this, this, is really where, this is really where I wanted us to focus on the communion table and what it is. Um, the communion table is a, a beautiful thing that we get to step into um, that really, I, I like to think about it as the Last Supper they are fellowshipping together, and Jesus says, I will not drink this with you again until we're in paradise. And we are frozen still in that moment of time. Right? There's, there is a beauty. He says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And every time the believers gathered, all the way back to Acts 2, they would gather, and they would break bread, and they would fellowship. And it was a time to remember. It's time to commune with God. So the word communion, commune, commun we know the word community, right? Like there's, there's, a, there's a group of people together in unity and in with unity with the body of Christ. There's a timeless thing outside of every generation, cross-denominational, cross-generational, all over the world, we are communing with the body of Christ because we are his body. And it is a beautiful picture of what we do. So um, today, uh, what we're going to do is there's some people that are serving the elements. So come get those. Hold on to those. Go back to your seat. We'll, t we'll take it together. But um, while we go through this, are, you, are the worship team is playing too, right? So you guys are good to go get in, into position wherever you need to do.
um, um, I want you to really ask Jesus to fellowship with you in this time. Ask him to speak with you. Ask him to make you more aware of his presence in this moment. Um, maybe it's not just, um, God, will you relieve me from this pain? Will you show me are in this really good thing? I don't want to miss you in this thing going on. Um, but the answer that I hear far too often when I ask people, how are you doing? Or, or what's going on in your life? You know, it's just, it's just, I'm good. We're busy. I'm good. We're busy. Like, those are just, like, the common two answers I hear far too often. Um, and we're going to miss God. We're going to miss Jesus and the person of who he is from his Holy Spirit in our life right now. If our common default is just, we're good, we're busy. So I ask you to take this time and be really intentional. Be reflective. Don't just ask God, where are you in my pain? Ask him, like, God, what are you doing right now? Get a different question. Get a different perspective on him and seek him in his presence and what he might have for you in this time because you are communing with him and you're communing, you know, with the saints. This is together. This is for the believer. If you have said yes to following Jesus, if you have said yes to um, his payment, his, his blood poured out for you, his body broken for you, that's what this time really is. And so let's take some time to reflect and let's ask him um, what he's doing in our life. Ask him that we tell him that we don't want to miss his presence. Um, I wonder if he was here today, I was, I was reflecting on this as I was preparing for this, if he were to be physically in my life right now and he was going to weep tears over something in my life, what would those tears be? Would they be indignant? Would they be angry with me? Would they be upset that I'm missing him somehow? Would they be him meeting me in my pain? Maybe you should ask him that today. Hey God, if you were to weep tears over my life today, what would you be weeping over? Ask him to just be with you. Ask him to be with you in the suffering, be with you in the pain, with you in whatever you're walking through, um, because he is the best of all of his gifts. He is the resurrection and the life. We were praying this morning, and um, someone was just praying, and they were, they were specifically, I believe, in unity with the Spirit, um, just asking us to be aware of his presence, asking us to understand what it means to live fully in his presence. That's where life is. That's where goodness is. And so Christianity is not just a brand. It's not just a box we check. It's not just a club that we're a part of. It's a, it's a way of life. They didn't even really have the word Christian early on. It was called a way. It literally changed everything about them. And so what does the presence of Jesus in your life, what ways does that change about your life? So I'll let you guys can get into place, and we'll, we'll begin to uh, receive the elements. And again, just hold on to those till you get back to your seat, and then we'll, we'll take them together. Good. I should probably pray. It's a good way to end a sermon. Father, thank you for um, the tears of our Savior. Thank you that there is a um, there's a reality that you are not a God who is far off. You did not um, stay away, but you came to us. And the tears you wept were tears of compassion, tears of sadness, tears of sadness from a group of people that you came for that would miss you entirely. God, don't let us be that people. for the, um, the words recorded here for your word that can speak to us and remind us that um, presence with you um, is an amazing gift. As we um, partake of these elements and we um, administer these to one another and, and we get an opportunity to, in community, uh, be united with you in your body, uh, may we also be united in your suffering. Teach us what it means 
these things in your word um, that remind us that there is joy, that there's something we can take heart of, that there is more for us. Help us see that you are truly um, weaving something into our life. That while we can't see, we don't need to worry about the, the future and we don't need to have shame from the past, but we can see your life and your resurrection now, currently in our life. We're listening and we invite you to speak to us. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your spilled blood. Of course, we love you.